Sister, episode 170. We're here at the Boomer Killing Factory. It's very real, and our generators are powered by every tweet that says, kill all boomers. That's why Twitter's had to start banning everybody. Dressed in a snappy tan suit and tie, reaching his hand into the big bingo ball cage. He's pulling out a ball and he's yelling, number 13, unlucky for some. Especially unlucky for Grandma Jean, who is heading straight to the killing floor. It's Andrew. Hey. <laughs> How you doing? See you later, Grandma Jean. Uh, enjoy? Enjoy it, I guess. It's not really meant to be enjoyed, but it seems like a polite thing to say. Uh, i got to say, if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. <laughs> and you do love what you do. You can yep. see it in your eyes. I will not be taking my mandated break this shift. <laughs> <laughs> oh, frantically pacing and talking on his Bluetooth headset. He's on the phone to head office, talking about strategies for optimization and increasing the boomer murdering productivity. He's saying things like synergy and growth hacking, and I think our Skull Crusher 5000 needs to be larger. It's Ben. Hi, Ben. We need the Skull Crusher 6000. <laughs> we need it. Can I just, uh, just before the pandemic hit, I was mm. just about to start doing a like once a month thing uh, as a bingo caller. <laughs> <laughs> At a, a friend's cafe, they were going to like open on Friday nights, do bingo and burgers, and I was so excited at the prospect of like, you know, they love doing the cutesy like rhyming things or whatever, you know, number pair, eleven, pair of legs, eleven, two, yeah. whatever, yeah. But just making all of them completely nonsensical, <laughs> just being like number seventeen, a big fat chicken, <laughs> and then just doing that for every single number. I was so excited, and then. The bastard COVID happened, and uh, I am I'm bereft. I'm bingoless. I'll never be the professional bingo uh, caller that I dream of being. I'm genuinely yeah. sorry to hear that. I can really, really, really see you in that role. I'm so I'm, excited. I'm bingoless. <laughs> I'm <bingo> Without <laughs> bingo, would have been so good. <sighs> it's very sad mm. to live your life not free. Live your life constrained. <laughs> you know. I was really wondering how you were going to segue here, but live your life shackled, <laughs> as it were, to your existence as not a bingo caller. Some people opt to be shackled uh, voluntarily. Some people specifically have shackles applied to uh, particular parts of them because <laughs> they want they want their hands free, they want their feet free. Um, you know, you need mobility, but there's other parts of them that they feel need to be restrained. Uh-huh. And these are the people who buy themselves chastity devices. This is the thing that I don't understand. Okay. And welcome to This Is Something We Don't Understand, Corner. <laughs> Speak for yourselves. This, oh, sorry. <laughs> now, this is an article that Lucy was, I'm going to describe it as, too excited <laughs> to talk about. Uh, she's been walking around the house chanting, Dick Cage, Dick Cage, <laughs> for a while now. <sighs> I'm almost certain I watched a movie recently where one of the guys in the credits was called Dick Cage. That's a good name. God, Mm. I hope that was real. Good name. Great product. This is from uh, Agence France Presse. One day we're going to learn how to pronounce that because it comes up like one in every four episodes. Probably France France Presse or something, you know. Oh, that is not today. Smart male chastity device can be controlled by hackers, users (laughs) warned. Weren't we just talking yeah. about how, like, stop adding the internet to things because it doesn't work? Yeah. It, it somehow. It doesn't work and it's dangerous. In the last episode, we were rattling off examples like smart locks. We didn't settle on uh, smart dick cages Very, trapping yeah. your dick in there because <laughs> of a, a software bug. Well, I mean, it's, it's bad to get locked out of anything. 
you know, your house, mm. your car, your urethra. You don't you don't want to be locked out of any of those things against your will. Locked out of your urethra. Mm-hmm. As in, you want to gain... I can't get access. <laughs> I can't I get want access to my urethra. So, you're, uh-huh. you want to do some sounding, uh, mm-hmm. but you can't because you can't get into your urethra because you're locked out of it. Yeah, basically. I need uh-huh. to fish around in there. Oh, um, that is... I don't know how people do that. That's I feel like any lockable thing that can be hacked is probably not ideal. What, but at the very least, you know, <laughs> like uh, toy handcuffs. How they have a little release on them, mm-hmm. right? By law, all of these things should, ha- which I guess would not make sense if it's your house lock and like someone could just walk up to it and be like, "I'm just going to press the safety button and then walk right into your <laughs> house." Kind of defeat the purpose, maybe. But just, I don't trust robots. I don't trust the computers. I don't trust software. You shouldn't. I've developed enough software in my life to know that um, most programmers are bad and lazy, and uh, it's really easy to fuck things up without even thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Don't trust them. So. uh... Here we are, once again, from the pervert nation of France, sending us some um, <laughs> vital information. Uh, the maker of smart male chastity device has recommended using a screwdriver to break it open after warnings that it can be locked remotely by hackers. <laughs> I hate it when I'm just out and about and all of a sudden I hear the sound of my chastity cage slamming shut in my pants. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait a minute. Oh, no. <laughs> Just oh. a little click, just your eye twitches. Everyone's like, what, yep. what was that? Nothing. Nothing. Don't worry about it, bro. I have to go home and get my keys. Just to sort of aid um, with the... Uh, again, this is an audio medium, uh, so okay. I'm going to have to describe what this thing looks like. It looks uh, like a cage for your dick. <laughs> it does, but I just... Because I want you... When you think about jamming a... Oh, no, one of the photos in the Google Images results I just looked at definitely has someone's ball sack in it. Oh, two of them oh. do. Um, it's pretty heavy duty, you know. It's very close to the penis. Oh, it's got a hole at the end. You're not locking yourself out of your urethra, actually. Oh, yeah. Well, otherwise you wouldn't be able to wear it all day. In that case, I have no issues with this. <laughs> but you're, you're jamming a screwdriver into um, one of the more sensitive parts of the body. Mm-hmm. I probably don't want to do that. Well, what are the circumstances in which you might need a screwdriver, you might find yourself asking? The Bluetooth-controlled cellmate device... Cellmate mm. device. Do you feel like that's uh, potentially a, a clever play on soulmate as well? Oh, that's nice. It's pleasant. <laughs> How romantic. Mm. Unless, I guess, in this scenario, uh, you're maybe doing it um, to, you know, heighten heighten sexual anticipation with your dominatrix lady friend, or your penis is your soulmate, and um, this is just helping you out with your relationship with your penis. The cellmate device can be unlocked only via an app. Its manufacturer, the Chinese company um, Chuai, issued a video titled When Nothing Else Works. <laughs> I love that they had to release a video. Mm. <laughs> Have you tried absolutely everything to remove this cage from your penis? <laughs> Oopsies. Sorry, we locked your penis up. <laughs> The company's founder and chief executive, Jake Guo, said it was, quote, simply not true that users could get stuck in the cellmate, which is marketed both as an anti-cheating and submission sex play device. If you That's an interesting concept. <laughs> need an electronic cage on your partner's penis to stop them from fucking around behind your back, you should exit probably that relationship. Just get mm. a different partner. Yeah, don't... you. That's very unhealthy. That is the most unhealthy thing I've ever heard. Locking up my partner's penis before heading out for the day. I love you. 
I trust you. I'm going to snap this thing on your dick right now. Have a lovely time at work. <laughs> yeah, that's that's no good to me. It follows a warning from researchers that the cellmate, which clamps a metal ring around the genitals, is vulnerable vulnerable to being exploited by hackers who could lock them en masse, potentially trapping um, thousands of users. I think I just developed a new sexual fetish. What it's is, being the en masse hacker. The power trip of just being like, oh, 17,000 people can't fuck now. It feels so powerful. You know, in like um, older prison movies, like um, Escape from Alcatraz and stuff like that, where they have the um, that the old style of of prison door, where like somebody uh, pulls a big lever at the end of the row and they all slam simultaneously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's that. It's like that, but around the world, everybody's dick suddenly slamming shut. Imagine if like. You were wearing one of these. You suddenly mm-hmm. felt it slam shut, but you oh, saw yeah, someone else. Imagine it. I can't imagine it. <laughs> you saw someone else. else across the room just mm-hmm. do exactly the same body motion as you at the same time. Like, wait a uh. second. <laughs> hey, bro, you Cajun right now? Cajun? <laughs> Are you Cajun? <laughs> Are you Cajun? <laughs> oh, raging Cajun. Um, so, I guess what, what I'm a little puzzled by here, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so. You got your, you got your dick cage on. Mm. Well, you've said to yourself, "Just gonna slap this on uh, before I go out for a little." I while. like your assumption that this is always being used on oneself. <laughs> I don't know. I, look, I I assume that the relationship is like they said for sub- submissive sex play stuff, mm. uh, where a lady says, "Time to lock your penis up in a little little cage." Or a man. Yeah, or a man. Um, and then, and then you're not allowed out of it until the other person says. Right, I guess. until they fiddle around on their app. So, what? <laughs> yeah, just a second. Going to fiddle the app so hard later, but not for a while. And that's oh. hot to me. Oh, it's got to update first. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, um, honey. I've got to update my iOS. Just give me half an hour. <laughs> until I can unlock your penis. Um, so, what's the circumstance in which you have it on? but it's not locked and then the hacker can lock it or is the suggestion that the hacker could take control of the locks and keep them locked against your will? I assume so, right? Well, what I've seen from the research (laughs) that I've done... (laughs) What I've seen uh, from looking straight down... (laughs) What I've seen from the years that I've been using one of these (laughs) uh, is you can like... I think the whole thing is that they can randomly do it at any time throughout the day, right? Your partner, whoever it is that is doing this weird submission play with you is like, well, I just did it there and you're out for three hours. It's sort of like a, they can do it spontaneously. They can turn it off for a bit. They set timers on it and shit. It's all about, uh, that's like the same people that do the, the weird remote control vibrator things where you're like, that makes sense. I don't understand this one. Like if it's still on your body, if it's unlocked, right? Yeah. So you just sort of, you can, I guess you're consenting to wear it knowing they could do it at any time. Right. Okay. Yeah. Or the hacker. Or the hacker. Keep it on there. <laughs> Which, again, so, like, that's, I think, specifically, maybe, there are people that are kind of into the idea that, like, oh, no, a hacker has locked my penis away and I can't control it <laughs> at all. Someone has certainly into that. Like, you have brought this weird hacker somewhere into your kink by being like, oh, this is the worst thing that can happen to me. I hope he doesn't leave it on for 24 hours. 
Yeah, um, the the hacker likes sending sending his ransom message. If you ever want to get that thing off, ooh, yeah, no, I do, I do so badly. What? No, you got to send me five hundred dollars. Oh, I don't have five hundred dollars. Oh no. Oh, how long are you going to keep it on for? No, I just tell me that you... I need to give you money, but slowly. <laughs> Got to pay yeah. installments. It's going to take two years. Oh, I love the idea of the hacker unwittingly getting caught up in the king, <laughs> just being like unlocking it, being like you nasty little pervert. Leave me alone. <laughs> oh, keep sending this guy ransom letters and getting dick pics back. And... <laughs> they just keep sending you the like fucking water spray emoji over and over and over again. <laughs> um. All right, so the company says, in case you cannot contact our customer support, of course. Oh, amazing visual. You... <laughs> mm. Sitting there on hold being like, oh, oh, hey, yep, yeah, sorry, this is my customer number. If you could just release my penis, please. Thank you. <laughs> How's your day going? Oh, I can see that the product is actually registered under your dominatrix's name. We're going to need to speak to them. <laughs> <laughs> You're not authorized. Is to your mommy you. there? <laughs> Have they authorized you to <laughs> call on the account? Um, so, if you are unable to contact customer support about your caged penis, the second option is to break open the cellmate cap with a screwdriver or similar, as demonstrated in the video on our website, Guo said in a statement sent to AFP. This will allow you to remove the pin lock and device. He added, Compared to cellmate, wearing a traditional chastity belt, often made of steel, chastity cage, sorry, often made of steel, with a classic padlock is much riskier. If you lose the key, you actually would need a grinder or bolt cutter to remove the cage. Right. Okay. It's got a point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I will I <laughs> will this say, device now. I will say, um, at least there's a key to lose. You know mm, what I mean? At least not there's an some... app that's not functional. And hackers. Yeah. Something where you just lose all ability to have any control over it at all without having lost anything. Alex Lomas of Pentest Partners, which released the research report, questioned the screwdriver maneuver, wondering whether the required angle was possible while wearing a cellmate. Also, <laughs> it's a bit close for comfort, he wrote on Twitter. Have you tried this for real? PTP also found other security flaws in the cellmate that could expose user information such as names, phone numbers, birthdays, and location data. <laughs> Giving your birthday to your penis cage. <laughs> Just send you a little message on your birthday. <laughs> it's very strange. We'll let you out for one hour. <laughs> Unless you don't want that, in which case we'll keep you locked up for one hour. Smart sex toys and devices are among a wave of new Internet of Things products and appliances introduced in recent years that can be operated remotely, but their connectivity has also made them vulnerable to security breaches and privacy violations. To guard against hacks, Guo advised cellmate users to remove the Chewy app on their phones and replace it with an updated version. Ah, oh, he's just got to update the app. Just update the app. <laughs> Every modern device can potentially be hacked nowadays, he says. Oh. <laughs> okay. Oh, cool. Thank you for making it. <laughs> <laughs> well, this next sentence is really just something. When a possible security leak with a game console, PC, smartphone, or social media app is discovered and reported, people don't seem to have the tendency to stop using them. Yeah, because my dick's not in a cage. I feel like dick my, PlayStation my PlayStation 4 does not trap yeah. my penis. 
Ah, oh, fuck, i got to wait for 12 gig of updates before I can remove my penis from my <laughs> PS4. Oh, boy. Incredible. What a gift. So, you know, maybe um, we haven't quite done a, a great job of explaining what the device was. So I was thinking we could let uh, Chui describe it to us themselves. Have you got a little mm. clip there, Andrew? I sure do. Hello guys, let me introduce you to functions of Chui to test about. Scan QR code on the manual to download Chui app. Binding. Register with the device code or match it up with local Bluetooth. After receiving your device, you will get supreme permissions for first time register, and golden luck will be appeared in the app. You can I just want to point out that they have a list on screen oh of, my like, God, it's so good. of multiple devices that are registered to this one app, so theoretically you could be controlling many penises. Well, I assume you would be. And... All of these devices are named Doge Cage One. <laughs> Doge. D O G E. Doge Cage One, Two, Three, Four, and Five. So, a bunch of little sick, perverted, meme loving fucks uh, <laughs> having their dicks locked away here. And they point out here that once you have the device registered and you have the golden lock and supreme permissions over that particular chastity device. You can transfer permissions to that device to your friends. Friends. I oh, love that's... that they say friends. They say it repeatedly throughout the hey, video buddy. as well. Hey, would you? do you have any interest in operating Greg's penis for the weekend? <laughs> <laughs> hey, who, who, whose turn is it with Greg's penis? <laughs> well, you know, yeah, if you're going out of town for the weekend, <laughs> can you penis sit? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> My doge. <laughs> you, you penis sit this weekend. I'll I'll just transfer you the permissions, and then you can get in, uh, water it, feed it, <laughs> that kind of thing. Let them out to run around for one hour a day, <laughs> and should be fine. It basically looks after itself. Permissions to your friends. In upper right corner of the device interface, you can transfer device permissions, set unlock timing, and change device nicknames. Instructions. After downloading to our app, wear and controller register at the same time and add friends to each other. Oh, After friends. controller acquires golden lock permission, controller can give permission to wear in the authorization management interface. After wear has the permission to unlock, <laughs> take on the blue... The, the little cartoon figures who are, who are displaying this to us. Um, they look so nice. They look the, like They're all a being very couple. friendly to each other. Are they nude yet? Because that's they're, a very sudden transition halfway through the It is a very sudden yeah, transition to the, the, a man and a woman on the beach, both operating their phones and giving each other permission to both um, operate uh, and, and operate the other person's device. And now suddenly the man is alone and naked in his bedroom. <laughs> but he looks He's so smiling. friendly. He, he looks, looks so nice. really friendly. Oh, boy. Oh, my God. After the wearer has the permission to unlock, turn on the Bluetooth of phone, press the button on the device, the device will start to twinkle red. <laughs> twinkle is lovely. We all know Bluetooth is just so reliable, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm having trouble pairing with my penis. <laughs> Get in the car and it starts pairing to your chastity lock. <laughs> Oh, you get it all backwards, and then when you press your car remote, your penis unlocks. <laughs> I would love that little car unlock sound if, if this was my yeah. submissive man yeah. and I'm out with him. Just a little... <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. 
Oh. To choose a phone, press button on the device. The device will start to twinkle red. So big. When the device interface is opened, and device light will automatically blue stably. Then click unlock. The locking pin will pop out automatically. Single players can also make time settings on the device's settings interface. Single players. Oh, single, single players. players. So you can just time it yourself. I feel like, what's that doing for you, really? I mean, it's kind of outside of your control, except you set it. Yeah. So it's not. You can override it. So. Well, unless unless it's like once you set the timer, you just can't unlock it until then. Maybe without that's a screwdriver, I guess. <laughs> yeah, without just sawing the end of your penis off. Um. Yeah, I assume that this is for like um. I assume this is for NoFap guys, actually. Like, oh, um, great idea! Yeah, that's it's definitely a thing. Like uh, the the kinds of NoFap guys who are like, I would constantly jack off in my office at work and any bathroom I could find and just all over the place. And now I like put one of these things on, and then I set it so that I can't take it off for like ten hours. And then everyone goes, "We support you, bro." In the comments. <laughs> I'm so proud of you, man, <laughs> that you're not working constantly because you put your dick in a cage. It's so funny, like the the language on those on those forums, like Reddit no fat forums and stuff, when guys are like, uh, I went for however many days I went for seventy days <laughs> without without jacking off, but I you know, I slipped and I did a yesterday and they're all like, Hey man. That's just one time. Right back on the horse. They all talk to each other like <laughs> like severe alcoholics. It's non-toxic masculinity right there. <laughs> <sighs> it's very weird. Very weird. Um, you know, we love perverts on this show. Or just talking about them. We sure do. It's also fine. Another kind of pervert is the European. True. <laughs> <laughs> You're not wrong. <laughs> one type of person, notorious pervert. And it seems like one of these notorious perverts has come to this, our island nation, and tried to spread his perverted ways within our culture. (laughs) I, for one, won't stand for it. Uh, Here's an article from the Sydney Morning Herald. Ben has helpfully filed this under Toilet Corner. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's in relation to the biggest toilet in Australia, the city of Sydney. This is from the Sydney Morning Herald. Um... Quote, it's not elitist. (laughs) Mm -hmm. If you're starting the headline with that as a quote from you, if like if you did an interview for the paper and the headline started with a quote from you that said, it's not elitist, you are 100% about About to get rinsed as an elitist. (laughs) Meet the man who wants to open a private beach club at Bondi. Uh, This article is very fun to me. I'd prefer not to. (laughs) Thank you. He has been branded an elitist who wants to turn Australia's best-known beach into a private and expensive European-style party den. He's going to put in a conversation pit. (laughs) I mean, that I'm on board with. That's the coolest thing imaginable. That is Mm. unfortunately not what this is. No. Um, But Yannick Gazeki. Yannick, you reckon? Yeah, I reckon. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yannick Gazeki says his proposal to rope off a small section of Bondi Beach (laughs) and charge visitors $80 to enter his Amalfi Beach Club actually democratizes Australia's most famous stretch of sand. Uh There's nothing more democratic. Well, it's a free market, baby. It's the free market. I would actually argue that um, 
that he is actually doing a very accurate representation of Western democracy. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, sure. He's the not people, wrong here. The people who front up the most money uh, get to sit in the nicest spot. Um, I love that, though. It democratizes Australia's most famous stretch of sand. Quote, It's not elitist to give people an opportunity to enjoy the beach in a different way, he says. It's diversifying the use of the beach. Diversifying the use of the beach. Hmm. Interesting. 80 bucks. All right. What do we get for 80 bucks? <laughs> <laughs> An author, avid fisherman, polo entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. What is a polo entrepreneur? Polo entrepreneur. Polo-entrepreneur. Mm. No, I can't make it no, work. No, I like, I like polo. entrepreneur is nice. Polo-entrepreneurial. Polo-entrepreneur. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, no, that one doesn't work. <laughs> Is polo the horse one or the water one? Water polo. <laughs> Am I thinking water, water polo? polo, 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 polo. All right. Horse polo, is, horse polo is the horse polo. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> so that's this is a great bio for this guy, an author, and we'll we'll come back to the author part. An author, avid fisherman, polo entrepreneur, and former lawyer. Oh, what a, <laughs> that's a quite a lineup. Willingly telling this about myself to the newspaper. Mr. Gazeki says he will not be fobbed off by Waverly Council. I'd love to, I'd love to um, pull out my phone, deactivate my my chastity device, and get fobbed <laughs> off on the beach. Mr. Gazeki says he will not be fobbed off by Waverly Council, which initially deemed the project unsuitable. Council staff are now considering a revised bid from Mr. Gazeki's company to run the beach club between February and May next year. Quote, we're certainly going to take this process very seriously. We're going to look at it very closely to make sure it's being addressed rationally and in a way that is procedurally correct, he says. The accusation of elitism clearly rankles Mr. Gazeki, who arrived in Australia as a child speaking broken English following the death of his mother. Oh. Something not- happened to you. Yeah, I'm not 100% sure what, like, your very early stage of childhood has to do with whether or not you are an elitist at the age of 47. But they also, they go back to um, where he comes from later in the article. So there's a sentence down here. It says, born in Poland, Mr. Gazeki's early childhood was spent in Nigeria where his father taught in a university before the family moved to Melbourne in the early 1980s. So his father was a university lecturer. Like, the the implication of arriving as a child speaking broken English is like, you know how they, in uh, movies in America, they show people like rocking up to Staten Island or yeah, Ellis yeah. Island, I should say, yeah. whichever fucking one it is. You know, there's like <laughs> 500 of them on the front of the ship being like, our life here will be beautiful. <laughs> I don't think that's what this situation no. is. Mr. Gazeki, your name's Mr. Johnson now. <laughs> I don't know why the guy at What's Staten name, Island kid? is British. <laughs> <laughs> they also made me change my name, innit? <laughs> um, so, yeah, I completely agree, Ben. The... I can't be elitist. I arrived in Australia as a child speaking broken English. Um, I can't it, be elitist. My first language is Polish. Yes, it's it's very clearly intended to paint a picture of uh, I am a refugee. You know who basically. else's first language was Polish? Tommy Wiseau. Huh. And he made it big. Yeah, I don't know what the implication <laughs> is there, honestly. He's a powerful, rich man now. Um, so he has been rankled. Mm-hmm. Bad news, everybody. 
Mr. Gazeki's been rankled, sitting in the living room of his Bondi house that he shares with his wife, Natalie, and their four children. Uh, the 47-year-old paints a very different picture of his beach club from the proposal that outraged talkback radio and social media last week. It's family-friendly. It's not like an Ibiza club, he says. It's fine dining, but in a casual context. Oh, it's casual mm-hmm. fine dining. Yeah. So the $80 beach club that privatizes a portion of the beach is casual fine dining. So it's actually, um, it's fine. What's elitist about a place that you have to pay to access and has fine dining? <laughs> Um, and by the but in the sense that it's a, it's a casual context in the sense that it is on the beach and not in a restaurant. <laughs> um, Mr. Gazeki's older children, Indigo and Blaze, <laughs> mm. oh, yeah, wander past as their father responds to critics such as Two GB's Ben Fordham, who said the plan was quote just not something we do in Australia. Network 10's The Project described it as some wanky European-style beach club. <laughs> Why? So, th- that first sentence, his children wander past. While you're asking him that question, what is the point of that? What is the relevance of that? I feel like the, whoever has written this is having a bit of a laugh here. Just I wanted agree. to get the names Indigo and Blaze <laughs> in the article, I think. <laughs> I hope so. They, they just want you to know that this man who has been accused of being a wanker is 1,000% a wanker. <laughs> That's the vibe I'm getting. Mr. Gazeki dismisses talks of, quote, privatizing beaches and charging people for access as hysteria. It's open to everyone, he says. It's 80 bucks for food and alcohol, effectively. Cheaper than any restaurant in Bondi. Well, so is he saying that the food and alcohol is free when you get inside? If so, I'm listening. Um, yeah, I'm maybe on board with that. <laughs> oh, so so this this will become more apparent as we go down here. But um, so I, I like as we go down here, we've got it's definitely not elitist. It's not privatizing. It's not any of these things. It's just a place that you have to pay to get into for fine dining. Um, it's open to everyone who will pay eighty dollars to enter. Mm. Like, that's not open to and everyone. And it takes up space on the beach. Yeah, it's either a public space that everybody can access, and once you're there, you can, I don't know, pay for food if you want to, but you don't have to, or it is a privatized space. It's one of the two. A brochure for the beach club, which promises, quote, Euro beach chic, says its target market are locals, quote, who wish to experience their favorite beach in a luxurious hospitality context, as well as the high-end demographic from Greater Sydney within the 30 to 60 age demographic. So again, Mm -hmm. not elitist, uh, just for rich people who want fine dining in a luxurious context in the 30 to 60 age demographic. Is this for swingers? (laughs) (laughs) starting to get the vibe that's what Uh, European style generally means it means fucking other people's wives (laughs) that's exactly what European style means I just just (laughs) love getting really mad at the idea that this is like an elitist proposal when your own proposal says that it is it's for rich guys. L- luxurious people. hospitality for a high-end demographic my private beach for rich cunts is for everyone (laughs) 
In a letter to Waverley Council's general manager, Mr. Kazaki says, exercise, jogging, and swimming, quote, currently dominates beach use to the exclusion of many other interest groups, <laughs> such as those who wish to seek a refined cultural and culinary experience embodied by premium beach clubs. I love that he's like, all these people that are swimming at the beach are ruining it for people who want to have fine dining at the beach. <laughs> oh. Just go to Europe, bro. Europe exists. But there's also You're like... to go back where I came from, Lizzie? I suppose I am. Jesus Christ. <laughs> back to the sunny beaches of Poland. Um, <laughs> Is that border he... the Baltic Sea, that maybe? <laughs> like, there's a... It's, it's very hard not to think that, like, all the way through this he's talking about, like, uh, in, in the letter here it says, it calls the beach club, quote, a democratic proposition that will increase dining opportunities while serving alcohol on the sand in a, quote, controlled premium environment. Keeps using, like, premium mm. and everything as, mm -hmm. like, a premium experience and stuff. premium. At least he hasn't used the word bespoke yet, because that's the one mm. that makes me want to vomit the that's most. That's true. Um... It's like uh, th this, like a refined cultural experience and everything on the beach. There's a very strong vibe that I get of, yeah, but, you know, you guys are really dominating uh, the whole beach experience for people who want to go to the beach, but not, m m like, mingle with the rest of you fucking riffraff. Yeah. Also, for dining. I love to just go to the beach for dining, you know? What... It's it's very it's very clearly supposed to be a you go to the beach and you pay in slots to reserve yourself a small part of the beach where nobody else gets to bother you or sit too close, uh, and then you get to have all of the the rabble kept away from you. You know, the Bondi Beach Club concept draws on Mr. Kazeki's experience running polo events across Australia at locations mm -hmm. such as Sydney's Centennial Park. What's elitist about this guy? I don't get it. <laughs> Like many people in the hospitality and entertainment sector, the pandemic froze Mr. Gazeki's business and led to the cancellation of polo matches. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly the same experience as everyone in hospitality and entertainment <laughs> who has lost their jobs from the pandemic. Like many, yeah. like many uh, elite polo club organisers across the country. <laughs> um, we were struggling with finding ourselves in a position where we were prohibited from generating an income to support our family, he says. It's not sustainable for us to just sit on our hands. I feel like it probably would be, to be quite honest. Hmm. Yeah, I think if you can afford four kids in a house and Bondi, mm. you're probably No one thinks fine. about the polo entrepreneurs during this pandemic, you know? Shamefully, they, they completely slipped my mind when I was thinking of all the people that were affected by it. Sorry, to all the polo entrepreneurs out there. Mm. Born in Poland, Mr. Gazeki's early childhood was spent in Nigeria, where his father taught in a university before the family moved to Melbourne in the early 1980s. I couldn't speak English when I first arrived. What I do remember is making my friends through sport and drawing, he says. Mr. Gazeki's older brother and father later returned to Poland, leaving him to make a life for himself with his beautiful wife, Natalie, and kids. His passion for polo is matched by a love of nature and fishing. As a young boy in suburban Melbourne, he fished in the Yarra River. <laughs> okay. And All often right. wakes up before sunrise to cast a lure at North Bondi for tuna and salmon. Why do I care about this? I, those are not fish I associate with onshore fishing from Bondi Beach. Just getting salmon. some salmon. I didn't think... I mean, I could be wrong, but... No. Wouldn't think there'd be a big salmon population at North Bondi. And tuna, tuna are things that you go out like charter fishing for. Yeah. 
So you have to like go to actual ocean to get tuna. Uh, mm. If we're making a complete ass of ourselves about the kinds of fish you can get at Bondi, please write in and let us know. <laughs> if, you, if you have ever hooked a 50 kilo bluefin tuna uh, off the North Bondi Pier. <laughs> just throwing <laughs> your little fishing rod out. <laughs> Reeling just, up a big tuna. Just one of those hand reels, you know? <laughs> His study is filled with fish skeletons. This guy's like an alley cat. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just open cans and fish skeletons fish everywhere. Fish skeletons everywhere. <laughs> His study is filled with fish skeletons, artifacts from his travels. <laughs> Describes things they get on their travels as artifacts, like your fucking Indiana Jones. It's a souvenir, bro. Like that's the Ark of the Covenant. With yeah, yeah, like the the figure of Saint Thomas. Like just (laughs) weird artifacts of power in there. It's got the Necronomicon up on the wall. Oh no! Mm -hmm. And a cover illustration of his adventure angler comic series about the world's first fishing superhero. (laughs) Dope. Oh, this is a new kind of guy. (laughs) (laughs) He might be a guy of his own. I don't think this is a type. (laughs) Mm. Adventure Angler Comics, huh? Uh Uh-huh. Is is this just by him or...? It sounds like he made his own world's first fishing superhero. It's a a real and not good comic. My goodness. Look at here, you go Lucy. Look, <laughs> Trevally <it>? destruction. <laughs> Trevally of destruction. Oh my goodness, that's pretty good. That's nice. <sighs> that sure is a fishing superhero comic. Mister Gazeki also Christ. authored. Eleven thousand people like the Adventure Angler Facebook page, so it's got oh. an audience. Oh, all right. Well, good for him. Now, this is where I said we would oh, come back to being an author. No. I'm sorry, right. I just looked at the Trevally of Destruction cover. Yeah. Where he's a, a white man with a large fish, possibly a Trevally. <laughs> uh, you don't so. Running it's away, heavily implied. Uh, from some... Uh, how would you describe what's happening here? It's a white man running away from some black men with spears. Oh, is it? It's You, you would have to describe the people in the background of, of this image as... A very, very, very antiquated um, trope of, if of savages. savages. Yes. Mm. If you were in the 1930s, you would say, ah, it's the natives. The but natives, this is a comic yes. from, uh, like, right now. Hmm. Hmm. Great. Uh, so, so, back in his bio, we said an author, avid fisherman, and polo entrepreneur. But we never got to the part about being an author. So, it says here... Um, Mr. Kazeki also authored Crocs and Barramundi, an account of his travels with the filmmaker and crocodile hunter Malcolm Douglas that he says was, quote, tracking to be a bestseller when it was published in 2001. Unfortunately, Malcolm formed the view that it portrayed him as difficult to get along with, which he notoriously was, he says. (laughs) Mr. Douglas, who died in 2010, sued for defamation and the book was withdrawn from sale as part of an out-of-court settlement. But Mr. Gazeki plans to republish the book after buying back the rights. My goodness. Ooh. So yeah, I did I did go and do a bit more reading into this this thing that this guy is proposing. Um and he was saying it it would be fine dining because the nearby restaurants would be the one who would do the food for it. 
and it would work as you paying $80 for a two-hour slot of using the beach. I don't know whether it's you're paying $80 to reserve a seat. So, I don't know, for example, if like, you know, four of us went down, are we paying $80 each for two hours? Do you book a table for $80? And then once you're there, I'm assuming it's not $80 buys you all of the food and drink you can ingest for two hours. Because I can ingest a lot in two hours. Mm. That's kind of one of my skills. (laughs) You're a big time ingester. I love to ingest. One of my favorite (laughs) things. Uh, um, so basically everyone says this guy's a big idiot. Everyone except for the people running restaurants who nearby who could sell some food through it. But why not just go to the restaurant, you know? Why not? Why not? Uh, I will say I don't think that he made these comics having a little browse of them right now. They Either are from the I. 70s. Either do I. <laughs> well, I think. Fuck that guy. <laughs> fuck that guy. And your stupid beach club. We're all breaking up with that guy. And as we often need to try and find out if we should or should not break up with somebody, we will refer to Dr. Lucy. I think it is his series. Like, it's all specifically about Sydney stuff. Is it? it says his series on the thing. This is very confusing. Some of the ones on Facebook are from, like, 1974. But the ones... Uh, well, it says 1970-something on it, but it's clearly drawn, like, very recently. It's, yeah. It's, it's like vector Because the ones that are dated 2017 are drawn in exactly the same style. Oh, uh, maybe. This is very confusing. We'll get to the bottom Who of this knows? Uh, later. <laughs> yep. But for now, time to check in with Dr. Lucy. If you find that you are having a little relationship trouble Just to pick up your telephone and dial in on the double You call 1-800-317-5155 Now you're paging Dr. Lucy Hey, uh, just on the Adventure Angler comic, mm-hmm. they've, they've posted a link to a shirt that you can buy that has Adventure Angler covers on it. Uh, check out our new Adventure Angler cover compilation t-shirt, ideal for casual barbecues, first date, or that really important work interview. And the first reply is from Dennis Pryor saying, fuck me gently. <laughs> <laughs> with, Thanks, with, Dennis. With one like from Adventure Angler. All right. So, paging Dr. Lucy, time to ask Dr. Lucy for relationship advice. What to do, what to do. I've been charging my roommate $100 plus the cost of raw ingredients for me to meal prep lunches for him. Personally, I prefer having more variety in my prepared meals, so I'm happy to actually do this. Unfortunately, I just found out from bumping into one of his friends who I met briefly at our apartment that he has been using this to boast to his social circle that we are a couple and I am his significant other. Apparently, he's shown people my photos in our apartment to prove that we are together and has been describing in great detail our imaginary sex life. (laughs) This is really awkward and I still have seven months on the lease. Is this even worth uprooting from the apartment for? I'm kind of mad because this is a great location at a great price and if possible, I would like not to leave, especially since I've done nothing wrong. Any advice would help greatly, please. Thanks in advance. Some lady from Reddit. What do you do here, Lucy? I straight up believe this one and you should immediately <laughs> move out because it's super fucking weird. <laughs> it is a really weird. weird thing to be doing. It's a lot of effort to move out though. 
It is. And the location's so good. Hmm. Doesn't say much else about this guy. Does he um, seem like he's going to murder you, you know? I mean, it's the describing in great detail our imaginary sex life that's really, really the kicker. Yeah, that kind of makes it hard to come back to a friendship, doesn't it? Yeah. Although I would be interested if someone did this to me, I'd be like, right, what is he, what's he been saying about me? What am I up to in the bedroom? How do I fuck? <laughs> what's my fuck style that he's imagined? <laughs> what, if, um, what if everything that he was saying was so complimentary of you that you were like, keep telling people? Like, Maybe uh, you should just the, give it a go. He's been going around to your social circle and being like, guys, she fucks like an absolute demon. Like, <laughs> this is the most profoundly enjoyable sexual experience I've ever had. She is a true master. If there was a ranking system for fuck styles, she'd have a black belt. And you'd be like, oh, oh yeah, all right. Happy to have that in the public. Yeah, Very complimentary. Compliment. She fucks like a Bigfoot on the solstice. You know? <laughs> <laughs> 100 bucks for meal prepping. That's a pretty good deal. Yeah, Not sure why that's relevant here. I'm assuming he's posting the food that she's making him or something. Well, how many hours does meal prep take? I mean, I know that none of us are meal prep people, you know. Mm. No, I, I cook when I need to eat. Having stuff in advance makes me feel like I'm controlling my own life in a way that uh, I rankle at. Uh, I just think like most meal prepped things look very bad. Like they're all sort of steamed chicken and some cubes. They are. I don't potato. get it. They always make these like chicken and vegetables and then they're like, there's my week's food. You're going to microwave chicken five days old? It's fucking crazy. Don't do that. I am. Um, I generally, I'll like I'll eat leftovers, but I kind of draw the line at like um, if I have eaten something for for dinner, and then the next day I have had that as leftovers for lunch, and then if I eat it again for dinner, I'm like, that's it. I'm done with the meal. Three three main meals in a row is enough for me to say I am finished with this meal for a while. So I don't know how anybody does the. I'm just going to eat the same same meal, what, two, three times a day? That would make me very sad. Mm. But I suppose it's usually for people who are uh, working out or on some kind of meal plan or diet thing for, for whatever kind of exercise thing they're doing. And a lot of people who are in that place have like got to a point where they go, ah, I have divorced myself from the need to enjoy the food I'm having. Mm. <laughs> food is solely food. If and then only you we had Theo here to discuss this after he was on the Soylent diet for yeah, quite I feel a like while. He, he would have a different take here. <laughs> well, he loves cooking so much, but he's also happy to have uh, nutrient slurry as a meal. So, it's baffling. Strange Classic, classic nutrient slurry. <laughs> I love me some nutrient slurry. Uh, so, your view, Lucy, is that she should sneak in at night, put a chastity thing on his penis, <laughs> yes. permanently lock it. Yes. That's uh, just generally what I feel like uh, all women should be doing with their male roommates. Hello, it's me, Ben, uh, from this podcast. Merriam-Webster defines a podcast as a program made available in digital format for automatic download over the internet, and that simply could not be more true. If you like what we do and want more of this podcast made available to you in digital format for automatic download over the internet, simply go to patreon.com slash and hit the enormous red button that says subscribe. 
five US dollars a month, you get access to our weekly bonus episodes, our entire archive of bonus episodes, our exclusive Discord server, and an RSS feed of both the bonus episodes and free episodes that doesn't have these ads in them. That sweet, sweet subscriber cash allows me to do this show full time without having to get a real job, and frankly, that whips to me. The other guys also get some money or whatever, but I don't really care. Anyway, check that out if it sounds good to you. Love you. What have we got left here, Ben? Oh, it's time for Plainly Speaking. Ah, uh, this is your captain speaking. Please return your seats to their upright positions as we are coming in hot on another edition of Plainly Speaking. Plain talk. Plain talk. Is it? Plain talk. Vaguely. It's sort of. I mean, it's about something that is controlled by man and airborne. Oh, you mean a plane? Um, No. Don't know how else you'd get into the sky. Well, let me tell you. Uh, <laughs> Please do. This is an article from the BBC. Jet suit paramedic tested in the Lake District could save lives. Could. Could. <laughs> <laughs> could end one very could, quickly. Well, could go wrong. Uh, a jet suit for paramedics, which would see patients reached in minutes by a flying medic. So they put flying in quotes there. I think that's legitimate. They are flying. If you're in a jet suit, you're flying, right? You're flying. You just have to be airborne to be flying. Surely. <laughs> Under your own power, I think. Mm. Uh, has been tested by the Great North Air Ambulance Service. After years of talks between GNAS uh, and Gravity <laughs> Industries, that is the Great North Air Ambulance Service, uh, a first test flight was carried out in the Lake District. Andy Mawson, the Director of Operations at GNAS, came up with the idea and described seeing it as, quote, awesome. <laughs> that would have been awesome <laughs> It is, it's fucking awesome as shit It's the best kind of man on the street comment <laughs> He said it meant a paramedic could Quote, fly to a fell top In 90 seconds rather than taking 30 minutes on foot there, We get the sarcastic fly again there. Yeah, like you're being very patronising About something that is objectively extremely cool mm-hmm. uh, Mr. Mawson said There are dozens of patients Every month within the complex But relatively small geographical footprint Of the lakes we could see the need. What we didn't know for sure is how this would work in practice. Well, we've seen it now, and it is, quite honestly, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Mawson said the exercise had demonstrated the huge potential of using jet suits to deliver critical care services. This, imagine being the, I think, like, I think it's a typo. I, th- I think he meant to say the huge potential of using jet suits to deliver radical care services. <laughs> <laughs> Simply freaking epic. <laughs> like... This would be such a fucking sick thing to be told you were going to be doing from now on. Yeah, it'd be like, very cool. You're a paramedic and you're like, you know, my job is to to get to people and render them first aid. That's what I'm trained for. That's what I'm qualified for. And I find that very fulfilling. And then your boss is like, by the way, I'm going to need you to learn how to use a jetpack. <laughs> the technology must have really come around lately because I'm seeing a lot of jetpacks on plane Instagram lately. <laughs> seeing a lot of guys in jetpacks i think we're really well on our way here until an accident happens technology has been pretty fucking shit up to this point like the jetpack right. problem has not been solved well before you know you got the whole thing about like where the points of propulsion are because we've got you know legs and it's hard to have like turbines pointing at your legs and stuff uh but it, it seems to be getting there uh <laughs> The test flight was carried out by Richard Browning, founder of Gravity Industries. He said the suits had two mini-engines on each arm and one on the back, allowing the paramedic to control their movement just by moving their hands. 
The biggest advantage is its speed, Mr. Morrison said. If the idea takes off, the flying paramedic will be armed with a medical kit, with strong pain relief for walkers who may have suffered fractures, and a defibrillator for those who may have suffered a heart attack. In a jetpack, what might have taken up to an hour to reach the patient may only take a few minutes, and that could mean the difference between life and death. So this is very cool, right? It's very cool. You've, you've gone, oh, I've bloody nicked me fucking, I've oh, bunged me leg, help. <laughs> I've bunged me leg, help. Yeah, I think that's how English people talk. I'm not talk. having a laugh. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm not pulling your leg, mister. I need help. Send one of them jetpack folks. And then, Why are you an orphan? <laughs> again, that's the only kind of English person I know. Mm. Uh, and so this could go one of two ways, to my mind. The first way this could go is um, an extraordinarily handsome man or woman rocks up in a jetpack, tends your wounds, uh, picks you up Superman style, flies you out of the fens or wherever the fuck you are with their shirt unbuttoned a little bit at the chest and it's like the cover of a Mills and Boone. Or <laughs> you've broken your leg, you're lying on the ground, you hear a roaring sound, and all of a sudden a guy in a jetpack slams into the rocks next to you and dies. Into you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just oh. really fudges the landing and absolutely axes themselves. Uh, so this then- company has an Instagram uh, mm-hmm. If anyone's interested, it's Gravity take, on, Industries. take on Gravity, Gravity Industries, where you can watch some footage of the jetpack if you're interested. Uh, do you, how's it looking to you? Does it look reliable? It looks safe, pretty fun? awesome. I don't know about reliable. I'm not. Tr- I wouldn't be going in it myself, but it looks pretty fucking cool. Oh, huh. it does look cool, except. Um it does also cost four hundred and forty thousand dollars. Jesus. <laughs> mm. Oh, wow. I'm looking at the uh, the Wikipedia article for Richard Browning, who is the founder, as we mentioned, of Gravity mm-hmm. Industries, an English inventor, entrepreneur, and speaker. He has a Guinness World Record uh, for the fastest speed in a body-controlled jet engine-powered suit. Uh-huh. And he's been dubbed the, quote, real-life Iron Man by media outlets around the world. Three citations on that one. Oh, <laughs> Three <yeah>. citations. <laughs> <laughs> Don't have to make it uncool like that. Yeah, come on, man. Just, like, be chill about it. Don't be like, oh, I guess, yeah, a couple of people have kind of compared me to Iron, Iron Man. Man. <laughs> I don't know if that's something you want to write down there. You could write that down if you, <laughs> you want. You could write that down. I have some citations. <laughs> like, what you're doing is... Ins- oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm going to put an image in the chat and then I would want one of you uh, to describe what I have just shown you because this has taken a turn... Okay. That is not good. <laughs> uh, have a look at the chat there. Real time. Oh, my oh, goodness. No. <laughs> oh, nope. no. Don't like that. Uh, um, Lucy, would you like to describe? <laughs> um, is, I mean, is that like an AK-47? I think it's an AR-15 by the look of AR-15, it. AR-15 perhaps strapped to the, the guy's shoulder, mm-hmm. the guy in the jetpack shoulder. I'm not sure. It's... Got a lot of wires on it, so I assume he is remotely controlling this gun with his hands. Oh, no. Uh, No? He is remotely controlling it with the helmet. Um, Yeah, it's nothing like having the barrel of a gun that you're going to be firing about three inches away from your ear. Yeah, that doesn't look ideal. Also, why does... I don't know why he needs this gun, but I'm not liking what I'm seeing. All right, so the good news is that it is, uh, it's a BB gun. It is not a real AR-15, uh, but it is certainly controlled by the helmet. Uh, it is. It features a two-axis gimbal that rotates from side to side, moves, back, moves backwards and forwards, mirroring the movement of the pilot's helmet. So 
If this guy looks at you, he is pointing a gun at you. <laughs> is this for like duck hunting? <laughs> no. <laughs> so I'm just just looking at a video here um, from CNBC where somebody uh, got invited to come and test drive the suit. Um, they're talking about how cool it was. The suit costs four hundred and forty thousand um, dollars. The suit and the fuel together weighs about a hundred pounds. Oh God. So you have to carry all of that on your person. Um, he was talking about how cool the how cool uh, what's what's the guy's name Richard Browning the CEO uh, is Dick Browning because as we call him old Brown Dicky. Mm-hmm. Um, he he looks really cool flying around because he's had tons of practice because he invented it. Uh, and he said so. I got to try and test fly it, which meant being tethered to a thing on a crane. Um, while you try and fail over and over again to get like uh, two centimeters off the ground because it's very, very difficult to control. It takes at least two full days of training uh, in order to be able to like to be allowed to take the tether off and attempt to fly it. Um, one day of pilot training costs $40,000 US. One day of pilot training. Huh. So it's, it's going to cost you around $100,000 Australian to be trained enough for them to unhook you from the big cable. <laughs> <laughs> Please release me from the tether. Not until you've given us another 50 grand. <laughs> I think the problem with all this kind of stuff with like um, this kind of, you know, f- flight with, I guess, as, as little a structure around you as possible is that it does involve the potential for just a human body to be hurtling through open air at speed. Mm. And generally speaking... If you hit something while that's happening, that's kind of it. Even if you don't, even if your fuel runs out, you're not going to be a glider because you're a <laughs> <No>. man. <laughs> you have to have a big heavy thing strapped to you. You're not going to um, slide on down into the Hudson River pleasantly. <laughs> I guess, Ben, I, I would. I think part of the reason that they were talking about all of the sarcastic flying stuff is that I think um, the the propulsion seems to be like pushing you off the ground but not actually propelling you through the air so some of these he you know he looks mm. like he's kind of six or ten feet off the ground while he's flying along but you can't just say right off i go iron man style sure. up into the air so you're saying without a, a something that creates aerodynamic lift you're more just sort of playing keeps upsies with yourself than you are actually flying yeah, which is, uh, I think why we're getting the sarcastic air quotes around flight uh, throughout this article, which of course makes the whole thing sound a lot cooler when it's not. You don't like get a get a call, an emergency call over the airwaves, and then one of you goes, uh, "Open the roof!" and <laughs> shoots <laughs> shoots up out of the roof of the paramedics' uh, hut, um, shoots up out of the paramedics' chalet that you're in in Europe. Uh, and then flies up to the peak and sits down next to someone and goes, here's your little barrel of rum. (laughs) Here's 500 milligrams of codeine and I'm off. (laughs) Good luck. (laughs) So, so yeah, when they're talking about like, um, hey, it it would take you only minutes to get up to somewhere that might normally take you half an hour to walk. I think what they're really describing is somebody being able to glide six to ten feet above a surface that would normally be a bit more time consuming to walk up if you were if you were kind of doing mountaineering type stuff 
So you can get to someone sooner. You can carry enough stuff to, I guess, give somebody pain relief or whack a bandage on something. Mm. Uh, you can't carry them back down. You can just hang out with them. Oh yeah, while, you, while the you, other people take half an hour right. to walk up there. The nature of this suit, the fact that the the thrusters are mounted on the arms, means you can't hold anything. So yeah, that that would be out of the question unless you sort of dangle them from a rope below you. <laughs> yeah, um, you also cannot uh, tenderly stroke the face of the victim, <laughs> 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 burning all their skin off. Oh no, that'd be awful. You like rock up. And you're like, great, I'm just going to put a bandage on this person. I'm going to have to wait 15 minutes for these jets to cool down, though, before I can come to you. Put your hand up to see if they're... To put your hand up to take their pulse and accidentally blow <laughs> all of their skin off, like that Elmo that's getting set on fire and that classic gif. Yeah, I, I don't think I'm going to put down $440,000 on one of these suits. Um, what this price does- point would you... Uh, lay your cash down for this for at what point would I sell all of my family's belongings in order to become an Iron Man like if this was how much does jet ski cost I feel like we've actually looked this up on an episode I before. feel like we definitely have we definitely uh, looked up how much both jet skis and golf carts cost <laughs> oh no sorry I'm thinking of golf carts I mean if this was like if it was 1500 bucks to get a functional jetpack uh, and speaking as a person who has no money ever, I would save up to get a jetpack. That would be fucking amazing. But Just- um, it's it's very hard not to get the feeling that this article, the the original one that we're sort of talking about here, which is, hey, you could be a, a medic, a medic with this thing. Um, it's very hard not to get the feeling that this guy has invented his jetpack thing. He's taken on a lot of investor money to do it. Uh-huh. It's also extremely expensive so basically at the moment the market for this is like saudi arabian princes um who want to do something cool (laughs) and then outside of that it doesn't actually have a purpose so this seems suspiciously like this company has sent a bunch of things out to various places to say hey imagine if your medics had jetpacks and they could just fly to the scene of the accident and they went, that would be cool. And an article was born. So I'm quite curious, because so the, the Great North Air Ambulance Service, which is the one that did this test, uh, the normal way that they do these things is with a helicopter. Uh, like So having a helicopter means you've got to spend a lot of money maintaining the helicopter. You've got to pay a lot of money to have qualified helicopter pilots on call. You've got to pay a lot of money for helicopter fuel. So I assume it's relatively expensive to have these. But I wonder at what point does it become more cost effective to buy a $500,000 jetpack and spend $100,000 training paramedics to be able to use it? Like, when does this become more efficient than doing it with a helicopter, I wonder? Mm, Good question. Seems silly, but it is awesome. And well, I wonder if they're actually going to start doing it or whether they just did this test and was like, yep, pr- pretty cool. We can. Pretty cool. This, this to me, has um, all, of the, all of the hallmarks of something that will get up to this point and then they will finally get the actual costings of what it would take to procure, let's say, two of these suits and 
training for all of the paramedics who should theoretically be able to operate them going up to there? Because it looks like it would take you a significant amount of training to be able to confidently like traverse any sort of distance. Um, and the training also costs an absolute shitload of money. And then you also have the issue of like, at least if you've got a helicopter, everybody involved, like you said, is a qualified helicopter pilot. Mm. And the only people who can uh, fly the helicopter are people who are licensed to do so, as opposed to, <laughs> have you had your mandatory two days training to be the rocketeer? And uh, then eight months later, we're going to be like, oh, everybody else is on call. Here, put on the suit and fly yeah. out the side of this mountain. Just and someone just skim this checklist of things not to do while in the jet suit. Yeah, then immediately wily coyoteing yourself into the side of an Alp, you know? <laughs> so, like I said, if you, I think if you lost control in this thing, moving at any kind of speed and hit something, it, you'd be having a really bad time. And then You're... they'd have to send out the next jetpack to come and get you. <laughs> Just so a pile on. of people in jetpacks, so yeah. slowly piling up, going, get to get someone who can land here. Then you got to pay for all your jetpack repairs. It'll be so expensive. Um, the other thing I like in this article is that it was um, Andy Mawson, the director of operations of the Great Northern Air Ambulance Service, who came up with the idea, described seeing it as awesome. So, like, he just saw this thing on Reddit. It's like, oh, that's so cool. How can I get work to pay for a jetpack? <laughs> <laughs> and this honestly, is- if you could pull that off, the yeah. dream. This has all been one guy's long, long effort to get work to pay for a jetpack. And we support that. Well done to him. Uh, if you can get your work to pay for a jetpack, write into the show. Mm. Mailbag at buntavista.com. Ask your boss. Yeah. Go on. You deserve it. You do. You do. Uh, you also deserve a nice shirt. Go to shop.buntavista.com and purchase one. You like that? That, that was, smooth, was right? very oh, smooth. Nice. Yeah, I'm people smooth. have uh, received them now, so I think we could feel relatively comfortable spruiking them. Yes, uh, I agree. Yeah, we got some really, really fucking nice shirts on there from a bunch of different people. Uh, Andrew's done some. They look gorgeous. Check them out. Get that. Also, you can sign up to Patreon for a year. Oh, that's now. true. We're going to remember that. Our annual memberships are now available to the Patreon. If, uh, if you don't like the idea of having your card or whatever charged for for five bucks once a month if that's a pain in the ass to you then you could go to patreon and sign up for an annual membership oh, beautiful okay. and if you sign up for the annual membership uh you get a discount you get two months free every year doesn't that sound sweet it does it does well that's it for us thanks for joining us and uh we'll see you later bye, bye. bye.